Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Hey, I want to just, one, just I feel so at home here. And this is my first official time being in this building. And I just, oh, I'm just so happy. And it's just so comfortable. And I love being with you guys. I feel the same about you guys, William, Emily, the whole team. We love you. And we're running together. And uh, I feel that same way. I, anyway, I could go off on this house and what you guys are doing. I think William's one of the greatest worship leaders I've ever been around. Just when he takes that place and it just, and, and, and just, there's just something so special going on here. And uh, I just love the purity and I just honor you guys and just guard the flame. You know, keep it simple. Keep it about him and watch what happens. Keep it simple. Keep it about him and watch what happens. It's, it's an honor. I love you guys. And um, anyway, I could go off on everybody in here. Um, go ahead and. I don't even know where to tell you to turn your Bibles, but um, <laughs> hey, I, I brought, I, I have a book that, um, I've written six of them, but I have a book that doesn't even officially come out till June 21st, all right? So today's June 5th, so hey, I got my author's copies, and I'm going, you know what, let's go ahead and bring it to Risen Nation. It's called Reclaiming Revival. Rec- hey. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give you one here in a second. But um, <laughs> Reclaiming Revival, me and my dear friend, Billy Humphrey, we did a podcast called Gripped. Who's ever heard of the Grip podcast? If you haven't, then you ain't been gripped yet. Come on, somebody. I'm just playing. Um, we've done four seasons, but our first season was about revival and how a word that we believe has been trampled on and kind of watered down. And we went, did a podcast together to, to restore a biblical and historical view of what revival really is. Revival is more than good meetings. It's more than great testimonies, which I, which I love all of those things. But revival is those divine seasons when the Father openly pours out the Spirit and openly manifests over cities and regions, my Son is King. And it's the season of trampling. It's the season of the trampling over all forms of darkness where the crack house is as vulnerable to the presence of God as the church house. Where pedophile rings can't live within certain regions. Drug rings can't live within regions. See, the book of Acts, which today we're celebrating, you know, Pentecost. The book of Acts is how God takes over cities and how whole idle industries are bankrupted by the power of the gospel. Guys, do you understand what would happen? The power of Jesus hit Dallas with such force. All of the idol, all the idols would be, you know, this is what happened in Ephesus in Acts 19. It was the ancient center for the Queen Diana worship. Queen Artemis and her temple in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, it, it, it had about 250,000. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. All right? And people would come everywhere. Paul comes into Ephesus, takes 12 who only knew about the baptism of John, John the Baptist. He leads them to Jesus, gets them baptized in the Holy Ghost, and, and over the next two years, those 12 would turn into 25,000. 
25,000 new converts in a city. I'm not talking about church transfer growth. I'm talking about 25,000 new converts. And because of the power of God hitting Ephesus, everyone was taking all their Diana idols and were having public burnings in the middle of the city. What would happen if God began to shake this city in such a way? Anyway, I'm just... We, we took that. We went off on that. We, we have it in there. It'll blow your mind, restore your vision for revival, change your life. Who wants one? All right. Who really needs? All right, lady in the middle waving at me. Come get it. Come on. No, in the back. I'm sorry. I hate doing that to you. I'm so grateful for the day. Yeah, you got to come get it. Way back in the days, we used to have CDs, and I do these prayer albums. Thank you. Go Get her. Get her. A little bolt of electricity to you. <laughs> we used to have CDs that I'd throw them out. So one day, one got caught in somebody's neck. It was, it was so bad. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. It did hurt her, though. <laughs> it did hurt her. And I said, I'm never going to throw anything at anybody else ever again. <sighs> All right, here we are, Pentecost. Pentecost, guys. Pentecost. 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 I would say that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is the greatest event in human history. It is the crowning jewel of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And most of us will get, we love it. We love the crucifixion. We love the resurrection as we should. But the crowning jewel is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If we would have just experienced the crucifixion of Jesus, we would be forgiven of our sins but still in the grave. If we would have had crucifixion and resurrection, we would be forgiven and raised, but Jesus would be over there while we would be over here. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now makes us and Jesus one, and he comes on us. It's not just forgiven, it's not just raised, but we're now in him he is in us, and he's upon us. Friends, I want to raise a high vision for Pentecost. This isn't just, we'll get so fired up about Christmas, as we should. We'll get so fired up about Easter, as we should. But, friend, it's time to raise the water level of Pentecost. The day the church was born. The day the church was born. We come to Pentecost as what Jesus did those last six months with those disciples. He absolutely emptied them. Through the cross, those disciples, disciples were absolutely decimated. They had been brought to the end of themselves. They were exposed in every way. And when they found that when the pressure came, many of them ran for them and all of them forsook him. That's what happened through the cross. It wasn't... The, the great and the cross exposed how nobody can follow Jesus. And when those disciples, they then get a 40-day teaching conference with Jesus in a resurrected body. Who would have loved to have been at that conference? 40 days, the resurrected Son of Man taught them on the kingdom of God. Now this is the thing that blows me away. That still was not enough to start Christianity. That was not enough to start Christianity was the resurrected Son of God teaching for 40 days. 
You would think with that information, you could change the world. The information was not enough to change the world. He goes, I've given you the information, and now we've got to set fire to the information. We've got to set fire to the information. Because it's not going to be just words and human wisdom and nice phrases that's going to change the world. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. We need the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. Turn me up a touch. That wasn't enough. I'm blown away by that. Because in most of our schools, the information is what's going to change the world, and it doesn't. They were absolutely destroyed. They had no confidence in their own wisdom, strength, ability. They had just gotten exposed about how unfaithful they were, how many cowards they really were. Peter was buckling by a girl by a campfire saying, I don't know him, 50 days earlier. This wasn't them strutting into the upper room. This was them absolutely decimated. Jesus has taught them, and he commanded them in Acts 1-4. He commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to go and tarry in the city until you're endued with power from on high. He says, for John told you, I baptize with water, but you're not many days from now going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We're not just going to look at Pentecost today like a museum and go, hmm, that's nice. That, isn't that awesome? I'm glad it's awesome. It's actually the template of how we are to seek another baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this is what the wombs and the families that God is raising up in this hour. I believe that we're in a Psalm 2 crisis that demands a Joel 2 response which is going to result with an Acts 2 outpouring. I want to say that again. Psalm 2. Everybody say Psalm 2. Say Joel 2. And say Acts 2. I want those three chapters to get written on the inside of you. Because here we stand today, and we're not just going to look through the memory and go, mm, we know what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was awesome. No, when Peter came out of that upper room, and says, this is that which was spoken of by Joel. He could have chose any prophet in the Old Testament. And he chose one prophecy because Joel in chapter 2 taught us about how to respond in hours of crisis. Joel taught us what to do when you see culture around you falling. And when you see the Antichrist spirit growing. When you see darkness growing. And when you see demonic unity growing. The church has an answer and Joel gave it. For years, I used to think when Peter came stumbling out of that upper room, he'd go, wait, this is kind of like Joel. No, no, you need to understand, they went into that upper room for 10 days knowing what they were doing. They were waiting. They were contending. They were pushing in for the release of the Holy Spirit. 50 days after Passover, they connect this time with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The Feast of Weeks, the first fruits, where they would bring the first fruit of their grain offering to the Lord. I want you to look with me in Psalm 2. Look with me in Psalm 2. I want to look at Psalm 2, Joel 2, Acts 2, because here we stand. We stand at a significant point in human history. Guys, I'm not trying to be dramatic, I'm not trying to stir you up to make this more appropriate. 
I believe we're living in a historical, a divine moment in history. And I believe our babies and possibly some of us will literally witness the second coming of Jesus. That's awesome and that's terrifying. That's glorious. It's our blessed hope. And it needs to put trembling in us that church as normal is not going to continue and it won't be able to navigate this coming season. We're entering into the birth canal. We're in the birth canal of human history. Jesus likens the signs of the times to birth pangs coming upon a woman. And I believe that we're in that birth canal that's going to culminate with the birth of the baby, Jesus, to the planet and the establishing of his kingdom. Psalm 2, David is seeing something unprecedented and something global, and this is the hour that we find ourselves in. And he says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing? And then he sees the kings of the earth. Okay, He sees the kings, the presidents, the leaders of nations, The kings set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Everybody say together. Okay? This is what David's seeing is he's seeing a unified conspiracy of the leaders of nations, the judges of nations, and the major players of nations. And he sees them in backroom meetings, and they're in unity. They're in unity, and they're conspiring, and they're saying, To the Lord and against his anointed, let us break off their bonds and cast away their cords from us. I believe that we are at the beginning of the generation of what David saw. And the thing that I, if there's one word that I want you to see in all of that, it's the word together. That we're going to see a global babble raised up in the nations once again that is defying the leadership of Yahweh the leadership of his son, and the exaltation of Jesus. Because what you're going to see in the last days is not, I mean, the world, there's not going to be any more atheist. You understand that the world, when for the nations to rage war on God, it means they believe in God. And it means that there's been a church on fire that has removed all the gray areas. For the nations to rage against God, it it means that they're aware He's there. There's not going to be any more atheists in the days we're moving into because of the supernatural power of God resting on the church. It's going to be the spirit of revival on the church that's going to provoke rage in the nations. We think revival means more buildings, more fun meetings, and more people fall down. No. Revival removes the gray areas. Revival produces extreme lovers of God and extreme haters of God. And it becomes manifest. And I'm grateful. I want revival because I hate the gray area. It's going to purify the Laodicean spirit out of the church, that lukewarm spirit of living in two worlds. And it's going it's to convict the, uh, uh, a world that is living saying, yeah, I'm saved, but you live so far from him. Revival removes the gray areas and it makes you make a decision. I hate him or I love him. And David's seeing this, but he sees it's insanity. Why are nations raging? 
Why are judges plotting? Why are they doing this? Why are they seeking to overthrow the bonds and the cords of God? When a generation says it's time to get rid of the old God and the old book, and it's time to throw off these laws and these bonds and cords that restrict us from our human pleasure and from us realizing the glory of humanity. It's why it's Babel. It's humanity's great statement. We can get delivered from God, and we can be our own gods. Well, David's looking. He's going, why? 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 It ain't going to work. You're building a sandcastle. There's a wave coming in. But you need to feel it, church. I think we're feeling the why, aren't we? Are we feeling the global insanity that's growing? You need to feel it at the horizontal level. But, friends, we're not going to engage in this battle from the horizontal level. Because the very next verse, it says, he who sits in the heavens. Everybody say, in the heavens. Say, in the heavens. See, now we're about to get filled with heaven's confidence in the midst of the rage, chaos, and confusion. When there's rage, chaos, and confusion, the the Father's inviting the church to come up through that open door. Revelation 4, a door standing open in heaven, and I want to bring you up into the divine confidence. What's the Father doing? He's laughing. He wants to release confidence on the church. The spirit of fear is going to be driven out of us. The spirit of anxiety over over our future and over our children is going to be driven out of us. We're going to get filled into that divine perspective. It says, he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. He holds them in derision. He speaks to them in his wrath and distresses them in his deep displeasure. And what's the Father's message to the nations? I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You nations are not going to rule. I've already set my king in place, and you weren't in the voting process. We didn't, we didn't talk to you before we made this, because this was something that was established before the beginning of creation. And the ultimate fight of Psalm 2 is around the city of Jerusalem. We'll come back another time and talk about that. But the ultimate Antichrist agenda at the end of the age is around a plot of land in the Middle East. Because he knows that's where God's going to rule forever and ever. And it's going to be the devil's last assault to overthrow the eternal decree. But the father laughs and says, "Uh uh-uh, you weren't in the voting process. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I, have, I love my king and my hill. My king, my hill. We need to feel the crisis, but we don't engage in the battle from this. Go with me to Joel 2. Go with me to Joel 2. Psalm 2 crisis, Joel 2 response. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. This little three, you'll find Joel in the middle of the Minor Prophets. He's a little book, but it has great power. Joel chapter 1, Joel shows up this, he shows up unnamed pretty much. He doesn't, we don't know about his dad. 
We don't know anything. The dude just shows up after a four-waved locust plague in chapter 1. Okay, which means which would mean to us the pretty much collapse of Wall Street. To an agricultural company, an agricultural nation, a four-wave locust plague has decimated the economy. And Joel is going to show up in chapter 1 saying you need to pay attention to what's going on and you don't need to get back into rebuilding so fast. You need to actually ask God, what are you saying? And Joel confronts the whole nation saying tell the leaders Tell your children and tell your grandchildren about this. Joel's intense. Well, Joel shows up in chapter 2, and he goes, guys, if you don't pay attention to the locust plague, I need you to know there's military invasion coming. And Joel drops a pretty intense message about the Babylonian army that's coming in chapter 2. But I want you to go with me to the response that Joel gives. Look at Joel 2.15. This is the response, and I want to tell you, I believe risen nation is being poised to become this kind of people. When the world is looking for answers, the church has it. It's not called in flaunting in our strength and our own wisdom and ingenuity and abilities to navigate these kinds of seasons. It's a season of going low, a season of binding together, and saying we need you, God, together. Look at Joel 2.15. There's two trumpets, but I just want to focus on the second trumpet. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. And do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? What's Joel's response to an hour of crisis? It's what the Lord told Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and humble and seek my face, I will turn and I will heal their land. Solomon said it. The prophets talked about it, but Joel gives us such emphasis. And I just want to say something to you very clearly as I can. You're like, man, this is Pentecost. When are we going to get the Holy Ghost? I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. And I believe he's given us a biblical model about how to position ourselves to receive another deluge of the Holy Spirit upon our company and a release of a fresh prophetic spirit. It's called humility. And it's called corporate humility. And it's called coming off your islands of how you like to do prayer and finding yourself in the same room with weird people like you, humbling yourself before God, saying, God, we need you and we don't have answers. But our eyes are on you and we believe God. We turn, we turn from our wicked ways and we humble ourselves and we ask you to have mercy on us, God. God says, that is my love language and if you want to provoke things in the heart of God, let him see corporate humility. You want to catch God's gaze in the midst of a bunch of flexing, flaunting, the world and the church, hard to tell the difference between it. But I tell you what sticks out 
in the eyes of heaven, in the midst of a pompous world, it's humble people in touch with their humility. Joel shows up to weddings, the nursing children's room, the nursing mother's room, and says, we're going to shut down business as usual, and you're going to gather together and do prayer meetings. You're going to gather together and do prayer meetings. There is nothing more invasive than a prophet showing up saying it's time to shut the whole thing down. I mean, William was hitting Malachi 1 this morning. Do you understand how intense it is for Malachi to show up and go, why don't you just shut the whole thing down? That would be him showing up to every church in America saying just shut it down because you keep heaping judgment on yourself. Every time you bring lame offerings, weak offerings, half-hearted offerings, all you're doing is stirring it up more. Why don't you just shut it down and reconnect with who I am? Because the issue is you don't know who I am anymore. I'm a great king. I'm a worthy king. I'm surrounded by songs and by four living creatures and 24 elders that are constantly burning before me, and you don't know who I am anymore. I'm going to check off your weekly box. I'm a slice of your pie. I'm in the group of balanced life, a good balanced life in Southern America. He says, and I am not. He says, I'm a great king, and I'd rather you shut the whole thing down and get back to the simplicity and purity of who I am in your ministry to me and I promise you, I'll touch your marriages, I'll touch your finances, and I'll touch future generations. Because we're in a fight right now for millennials and Gen Zers and the ones after them. We can do what we're going to do. We can keep doing all the great things and enjoying nice quiet times. But I want the fame of Jesus to strike. To strike our kids and our children. Jesus. That's what I long for. And Joel shows up and he goes, guys, let's just shut it down. Come off your islands. Get in the same room and don't even have a great strategy. Here we are, God. And we need you. We need you, God. There's nothing more not awesome than raw you looking at a holy God saying, I need you and doing it with other weak people. There's something about Weakness, brokenness, and humility that attracts the gaze of God. I love it individually, but I believe God's moving us into a corporate humility. A corporate brokenness and in a corporate touch. Joel is like, blow the trumpet. And nobody likes their alarm in the morning, do they? Anybody get excited? A couple of you do, I know. You're like, it's going to be a great day. I'm going to change the world. And you got all your positive speech and you while you're looking in the mirror and it's gonna be a great day. Hey, that's awesome. Do that. Whatever helps you. Trumpets and alarms get on everybody's nerves. Nobody gets excited when they hear their alarm in the morning. Most people. Tell me the nature of an alarm. It's rude. It doesn't care how good your sleep is. It doesn't care how comfortable the posturepedic is and how comfortable the downy comforter is. 
and how nice the dream has been and how little sleep you've gotten in this last season and how stressful life has been. The alarm doesn't care. The alarm has one agenda, and that's to wake you up. To wake you up and to disrupt you so you begin to ask different questions. So you begin to think about your life and about where we're going differently. And yet that's God's mercy to us is to give us alarms, to jar us a little bit, to say, God, I want to get into a different way to prepare myself both, one, for an individual fresh Pentecost, but I also want to find myself in the midst of a people that are saying, together, God, we want to respond to the trumpet so we can see a corporate Pentecost, so we can see a corporate outpouring of the Holy Spirit among a people and that God would touch our marriages, our money, and our children. That's what Malachi is all about. Marriages, money, and children. Because it's not like, well, let's just be holy over here. He goes, no, you're seeing the breakdown in your marriages. You're seeing the breakdown with your children and the breakdown in your finances because you're bringing lame offerings. It's all connected to your worship and to your preparation and your loss of who I am that is manifesting in these other areas. And we are in an urgent hour. I love it. I, I am just so happy as God's raising up what I'm calling wombs. A womb like risen nation. A womb to hold his purposes and to birth his heart into the earth. But I've got my youngest right over here, Adasa. Right here, i got my youngest over here. She's 11 years old. And that's who I'm carrying in my heart day and night. That God would mark her and mark her generation. MTV's going, all of them are going after the 8 to 12 year olds. And I'm like, we've got to win a generation in their early years while the cement's still wet. And mark them with the presence of God. We go off on a five-day trip next week. I'm ministering all over the nation, and I'm just asking God, let it, God. I'm going for one person. I'm taking her with me, and there's one person. I'm going to lay my hands on her 45 times over the next few days. I just want to see our kids move past it, not being about anything religion, but that I remember when God encountered me. I remember when the presence of God touched my life. I can try to be like the world, but there's a short leash on them that pulls them right out saying, uh-uh, you were called to something else. You were called to something else, and we've got to get into the gap as moms and dads and turn our hearts at Malachi 4, turn our hearts to our sons and our daughters, saying, I refuse to get just give you some form. I want you to encounter the man. I want you to encounter his presence for real. That's why Joel shows up to the nursing mother's room, shows up to new weddings, shows up to everybody. And he says, come off your islands and get into the room and cry out for mercy. And I believe, guys, I, I say this in humility. I know I say it really loud and all that, but I just want to say to you right now, it's begun. God's raising up trumpets. He's raising up preachers. But you know what? 2020, it's, a, it's an alarm saying I'm shutting down the machine. I'm shutting down the machine, and there's not going to be a reboot button. There's the, the reset that's going to come forth is the church I'm building. The days of seeker-friendly 
Christianity are over. And we're going to begin to reorient to the seeker, God himself. And we're going to begin to build around what he desires and what he wants and around our ministry to him first and foremost because we've become professionals at ministering to everybody but God. We've mastered ministry to children, ministry to marriages, and ministry to the lost. But now God's saying, I'm going to restore ministry to me. You're going to learn how to tend my heart, how to linger in a boring prayer meeting and break through your boredom with me and waiting on me. And you're going to enter into stewarding and ministering and singing and tongues and worship. And I'm going to plant Garden of Edens in the heart of my people where men and women begin to connect with God like they did in the cool of the day. And they're going to receive divine strategies. And I'm going to do more in their weakness of saying, God, I don't know what to do with my business. That there'll come divine thoughts that will open up doors. He's going to teach us how to build on our knees. It's not awesome you plus Jesus is going to change the world. It's jacked up, broken you in touch with how jacked up and broken you are. And an awesome Jesus is going to change the world. <laughs> We're going to gather together. We're going to begin to find ourselves in the room. The more conservatives are going to be over there watching the shofar blowing, flag waving, Pentecostal women, and go, well, I don't like praying like that. They're a little loud for me. And the Lord says, uh-uh, come off your islands, and everybody get in the room together. The loud ones are going to learn how to get quiet, and the quiet ones are going to learn how to get louder. We're going to learn how to look at God instead of looking at the worship leader on the stage. He's just going to, te- he's going to reorient us and reform the church. We're in the midst of a great reformation. We really are. And it's only going to intensify. A lot of us are like, I'm ready, I'm ready to get back to, to the way it used to be. It's never going to be. It's never going to go back. I, I just want you to know that. So I want to tell you what it, it is going on. My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of evangelism. Not a house of missions or a house of mercy or a house of healing. It's a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. Jesus, that's so intense. He goes, yes, if you get this one thing right, I promise you, ten other things will align. You will begin to see ten other areas align in the church when you begin to get back to apostolic foundations. And Joel says, shut it down and do prayer meetings. Do prayer meetings. Well, watch what happens. Look at Joel 2.28, and then we'll pick this up in Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass. Everybody say afterward. After what? After Joel 2.15 through 17. After the gathering, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. 
It's going to touch our children. Old men will dream dreams. Young men see visions. On my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Wonders in the heavens, blood, fire, vapor, uh, pillars of smoke, sun into darkness, moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Go with me to Acts chapter 2, and then we'll. See, this is actually God's gift to us. It's to shut down business as usual and to begin to reorient ourselves to him. Because I, I want to say this as clear as I can. When we read about the day of Pentecost, we're not just going to look in some museum of a long time ago and get excited and saying, thank you, God, for Pentecost. I'm grateful for Pentecost. But I'm grateful for another Pentecost. And I'm hungry for another Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, look at this, were all with one accord in one place. I hear some people say, well, it's not about the place anymore. We're the temple. Wherever I go, I am the temple. I understand that, and you and I are the temple. But God is still into sacred spaces and sacred places where the redeemed gather together, and it requires something of you. There's sacrifice in giving, getting in your car, leaving your nice little devotional space, looking out your back porch where the deer feed and you having your perfect worship album on and your perfect cup of coffee and no distractions. And God says, yeah, isn't that beautiful? Awesome. You're a living stone, and you're being fit together One accord in one place. One place. Which means God's into places. What makes the place holy is that the redeemed are there and they sanctified, they sanctified it and made it a special place for Him. This room is a special place for God. This is His Garden of Eden. This is His house. One accord in one place. I would say that phrase has probably been on me more in the last two months than anything else. One accord with one place. One accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I love that they were sitting. Which means they were tired. And it wasn't. It wasn't them dancing at their height when the glory came in. They had been brought to the end of themselves. And when they were sitting, the glory came. Which means this, we want to think about the perfect optimum environment to prepare for the sound. They'd still be waiting today. They, Jesus says you're not going to be baptized for many days until now. Now, Jesus said that at the end of Revelation, and we're still waiting 2,000 years later. What I'm saying is they waited 10 days. They could have sat in that room for 365 days. I don't know if they knew what or how or when, what was all going to look like. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. They heard the mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, 
and it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were Jews dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so these 120 were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they come stumbling out of the upper room in Jerusalem. They come stumbling out, and they're talking in the languages of the nations of the Jews that had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And all the Jews hear them talking in their own language. Now, whether the Holy Spirit was interpreting it to them and they were understanding it, or they were literally talking in those languages. I don't exactly know what was happening, but there was, they were understanding what these Galilean fishermen were saying. That's profound. In the languages of the tongues. And Peter stood up. A man who buckled by a little girl by a campfire 50 days earlier saying, I don't know him. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes cowards and turns them into lions. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you turn into a different person. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you operate in things that aren't natural to you. It's not about uh, the best you and the best qualified. When Holy Ghost comes on you, you turn into a different person. And Peter steps up, and he could have chosen many prophecies from the Old Testament that talked about the outpouring of the Spirit. He could have talked out of Isaiah, and Isaiah 59 said, I'm going to release my Spirit. He could have used Isaiah 44, I'm going to pour out my Spirit like water on the dry ground. He could have used Jeremiah's, I'm going to send the Spirit. But he chose a little minor prophet. This is that which was spoken of by who? Joel. Joel, and he quotes, it shall come to pass in the last days, says who? God. Not Joel, God. I'm going to pour out my spirit on how much flesh? All flesh. Your sons and daughters will do what? Prophesy. Isn't that interesting? Prophesy. The spirit of prophecy coming back on the church. And that's more than words of knowledge. I love words of knowledge. It's about creative power. Creative power released back on the Word of God. Upon the company of people that there's creative power in their words that shakes, Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord. A prophetic sound that shakes things. Psalm 29, it says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. It shakes, it makes, and it breaks. It makes the deer give birth. It makes the dead things come alive. It makes the lame things come straight again. It makes the destitute come alive. It makes that which is ashes become beautiful. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams and your young men are going to see visions. This prophetic realm is going to open up. I believe God wants to open up our dream life in a whole new way. I believe He wants to open up the vision realm. He wants to open up night visions like Daniel saw. I believe He wants to open up day visions and trances like Peter in Acts 10. 
a realm of encounter to open up to where the supernatural and the natural begin to open up. The seeing realm begins to increase. That you wake up every morning and you've gotten three words. Some of them will happen today. Others of them are where you're going. That's what happens when the outpouring of the Spirit begins to move. This is what we want to begin to do is ask God to visit us with dreams and visions. He says, I'm going to touch men and touch women. I'm going to raise up men servants and maid servants. Signs in the heavens, wonders in the earth, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before. Everybody say before. The coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Everybody listen in just a couple more minutes. I know I've been going. When Peter came out of that upper room and says, this is that which was spoken of by Joel, he's saying the last days has begun. He's saying the last days has begun. And we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. And over the last 2,000 years, we've seen we're all in this room because of that outpouring. That outpouring begat the book of Acts, which led to Acts 13 and Antioch, which then led out Saul and Barnabas, which brought the gospel to the Gentile world, which over the last 2,000 years, history's been marked by one thing. Hours of crisis, hours to where the church is getting backed into a corner, that there is a remnant of people that begin to shut down business as usual and begin to get back to God at the center and begin to gather together and begin to push aside some other initiatives. And in that place of humility, God sends a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a fresh release of the prophetic spirit that pushes the church forward. That's been the last 2,000 years. I could walk you through it. But friends, we're moving because on the day of Pentecost, we didn't see blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, did we? I'm here to tell you right now, I believe that we're living in a significant hour. Israel's in the land. Jerusalem's under her control. The signs of the times are increasing. I believe the hour that we're living in is a global call to the church to shut down business as usual. Prioritize humility and prayer because we're about to see a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm not... I'm grateful for Azusa. I'm grateful for Brownsville. I'm grateful for every move of God. But we ain't talking about little regional outpourings. We're talking about a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God's going to raise. I believe this is what he's doing right now. He's doing a wineskin shift. He's, doing a, he's, do, he's reordering us. He's delivering us from celebrity Christianity, the man of God up the mountain, and he's raising up a company of priests. I believe we're going to move into, guys, when we talk about revival, oh, whole zones of the glory of God. Whole zones of the presence of God. Something we've never seen before. I'll use Hebrides, I'll use Wells, I'll use Azusa as reference points. But friends, these are drops in the bucket to what we are being prepared for. These are drops in the bucket. And if it's a drop in the bucket for Duncan Campbell to talk about being awakened at 3 a.m. 
by the police chief, and he says, this is his memoirs, and Duncan Campbell on the Hebrides Islands. He's walking to the police station, and outside of every house, everyone is outside their house, leaning over hay bales, weeping and crying out to God for all the sins that has been exposed to them. He gets to the police uh, station, and the place is packed, and he begins to ask everyone, why are you here? And the guy goes, I don't know. All I know is that everything I've ever done wrong was made known to me. And I knew I had to turn myself into the cops. If that's a drop, when a spirit of conviction hits a whole region, when the John 16, 8, I'm going to send my spirit and he will convict. Do you know what happened by the end of Peter's message? It says they were cut to the heart. I believe it's these kinds of seasons to where it's the same words in a new season goes from a butter knife into a sword. Preaching that cuts again. Preaching that cuts, that actually divides soul from spirit. And I believe that it's going to be a global church. Acts chapter 2, the global church. We're going to see the billion soul harvest. We're going to see the combine harvesters of glory and of numbers coming in. But it's also going to provoke such rage in the nations when the church takes off her dirty garments and puts on her beautiful garments. And she begins to operate in the John 14, 12, greater works than these. Where there's, where there's sacrificial love and communities that are that are known as selflessness and sacrificial love and giving. When the spirit of glory hits, you can't lie on your taxes like you did in the last season. I'm serious. When the glory gets close, when the glory gets close, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool, where's the house you'll build for me? On this one will I look, him who is poor, contrite, and who trembles at my word. You're like, what do we do? Make me a house of prayer. Make us a house of prayer. Show us, God. Fill us with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and understanding. We're not going to strut into this next season. We're going to crawl into it. And he's going to release such an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us. not just another outpouring. We're talking about the greatest revival ever. That's going to culminate with a man coming out of heaven. With, the, with a man who is fully God and who is fully man stepping out of heaven and returning to the earth. That's where this revival is going. It's going to awaken the Maranatha cry all over the earth, come Lord Jesus. And I know I'm talking to the right house. I believe that God has marked this house to host him, to keep him, to tend him, and to see this virus that's in this house go everywhere. That song that came out today was so holy. 
was so precious, was so dear. And there's going to be an explosion of songs. That's going See, our songs are what frame the mind of a generation. It's that which writes theology on a generation. Preachers are okay. When the worship leaders and the songwriters, you're literally forming and framing a whole generation. We don't need our worship leaders looking for the next hit song that's going to make you a lot of money. That's going to get you into the right door with the right producer to open up your destiny. Oh, but there's going to be whole companies where the greatest songs, but there's going to be glory on it. It's going to be, it's going to be glory on it. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. I love the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love the glory. The Holy Spirit in me, around me, and upon me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I know I gave a corporate word today, but I feel like some of you, I feel like God wants to baptize some of you individually in the Holy Spirit today. He wants to re release a fresh outpouring and those rivers to come out of you, fresh tongues to come out of you, fresh songs to come out of you. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, just come on up here. I'm going to pray for you. Just need a couple of you to break through, and then the rest will come. Good. Just make a line up here. Good. Yeah, just make a line right here. We'll wait a couple of seconds. The rest of you, we're going we're gonna to rip off your tongues badge here in a second. Hallelujah. River is out of your belly. Yeah. Anybody else? Come on up here. Make another line across here. Yeah. Are there anybody in here? I'm not talking about you got tongues at youth camp 10 years ago. I don't care what happened at youth camp 10 years ago. I don't care what happened six months ago. You're like, I got tongues. Does tongues got you? This tongue's got you. The worst thing in the world is someone to say they're baptized in the Spirit and they've got a dam and it's not a river. All right, for everybody in the back, I want you to lift your right hand. Put your hand on your chest. Do that. Do that. You just threw your tongue's badge in the trash. Okay? Don't go get it out of there, okay? You need this. Everybody open up your hands, okay? We're going to pray for you up here, okay? Now, hold on. Hold on. Keep it intense and minory. Um, uh, all right, this is for you guys standing up here. This how it, we're going we're gonna to ask him all together to fill us with the Holy Spirit.
All right? Sometimes God will just pop, and then it just starts flowing out of you. Some of you are like, man, I only want the real thing. I don't want the devil. For I want God to come in here, open up my jawline, start taking my tongue and moving it wildly. Well, I've seen that happen a couple times. But most of the time, God has a part and you have a part. And everything in receiving gifts of the Spirit, there's always a moment where you're going to look like an idiot for a second. You know why? Because he wants you looking like an idiot for a second. (laughs) And there's something in the unknown where he begins to manifest his power in you. Okay? So we're all going to ask him together for a baptism in the Spirit, that he would baptize us. Jesus says, you've heard of this, so just open up your hands. Everybody take a deep breath. Just say, Father... I love you. You love me. I'm your favorite. I really am your favorite. I really am your favorite. I ask you right now to baptize me afresh in the Holy Ghost. I want to speak in new tongues. I want a fresh river. I want to prophesy. So baptize me now from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I receive. I receive. I receive. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.